Our scripture reading for today is from Romans chapter 11, verses 7 through 10. And we ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. Um, for those who aren't familiar with why we do that, uh, it goes all the way back to the book of Ezra in, uh, in the scripture where the, uh, the people stood while the scriptures were being read. Um, there's no mandate that we do that. But we do uh, recognize that, you know, these are the words of the king, uh, the sovereign uh, God of the universe. And so uh, his words are far more important than any words that I will speak today. Romans chapter 10, or Romans chapter 11, I'm sorry, verses 7 through 10. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. May the Lord speak to us through his holy word. Please be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious and eternal God, it is one thing for us to say that you are sovereign, to sing about it as we sang today. It is a whole other thing for us to come to the place in our lives where we do believe that you are sovereign, that the things that you are working in the world around us, that every one of those is under your absolute control. That no situation happens to us that you did not know was going to happen and that you are not working through that for good. And so we would pray, O oh God, today that you would stir the passions of our heart, that we would begin, as, as Antonetta just said, to, to see the grandeur and the greatness of our God, that if you could speak and a billion creatures catch your breath and spring to life, the stars and the heaven hear your voice and begin to burn brightly. Then why is it that we cannot trust you? That we go through life so often whimpering about the circumstances that we are about to face or in the middle of without recognizing that those circumstances have not changed you. I think of the, the words of Jesus as he hung on the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet, moments later, saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The eyes from underneath looking at the tapestry with all of its tangles and saying, God, why have you forsaken while at the same time, 
you are still seated on your throne. And our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, sensing for the first time that experience of of separation from you because of our sin that he took upon himself. And yet knowing that even though he did not sense your presence, he knew that your word that says that you would never leave, you would never forsake the one who is yours, allowed him to be able to say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And so, Lord God, I would pray that you would start working the depths of those truths deep into our hearts. That when the enemy comes to sow fear, instead of fear, we would find faith. Faith that our God reigns. Faith to know that nothing can separate us from your love. And even those times when we do fall, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would pick us up, leading us into repentance and a confession of that sin, even as we have that assurance that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we come to you on this day, asking that you grant by your grace Even a small picture, as Paul says, seeing through a glass darkly of that heavenly throne upon which you are seated and to which all of creation must respond. Things above the earth and on the earth and below, all must respond to you. Grant us then, O God, that grace. And for those who are here today, and they are struggling, they're struggling with issues in their lives. Their faith is being attacked by the enemy. And he wants them to stop trusting and start feeling terror. On this day, oh God, do as you did for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and send your angel to strengthen them. Come alongside them with the body of Christ that we might bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And ultimately, Lord Jesus, may your spirit quicken within them that you are present, that you care that you love, that you forgive, and that you transform from glory to glory. So guide us that we might not be like those spoken of here in our text, that their hearts were hardened against you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I recovered from my 
lengthy bout with COVID-19. During that time, several individuals asked me at different times, aren't you afraid? My answer in every, to, to each one of them was no. I'm not afraid. And then more recently, when the election appeared to go to former Vice President Biden and to Kamala Harris, and it seemed that they might be the future president and, and vice president, some people again asked if I was afraid. Was I afraid that at some point I might be arrested for speaking against issues that they are for, or being persecuted, the church being persecuted? And again, my answer has been no. I can't say that I enjoyed having COVID. <laughs> that it was somehow, you know, fun and exciting. It was not. Nor do I look forward to what I anticipate if this election does turn out the way that it is going at this moment. The persecution that is sure to come against the church and against Christians and against even pastors. But do I fear? No. The psalmist wrote, what can man do to me? But there is one thing I do fear. I fear failing as a preacher. I fear tickling ears rather than transforming lives. I fear preaching that informs but does not impart the truth. I fear entering eternity myself, but that those I've preached to would hear, depart from me. Jesus said, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And so I am afraid. I'm afraid of conveying the purpose of the gospel without the power of the gospel. Afraid that I will provide information rather than incarnation. Afraid that I will faithfully exposit the word of God without the faithful experiencing the word of God. I'm afraid that one day it would be said of Metropolitan what Paul said of the Jews in our passage, that Metropolitan failed to obtain what it was seeking. I fully believe in God's election of those who are to be saved. But I equally hold to the responsibility that I have and that other teachers within the church have of teaching and preaching in such a way that lives are changed and transformed. 
a shepherd who talks about the green pastures without leading the sheep into those green pastures is no shepherd. Therefore, the scripture says that Israel failed to obtain what it sought because its shepherds failed to lead them in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Therefore, God hardened their hearts. He allowed the gospel through those hardened hearts to go on to the Gentiles, which is the blessing. You and I have received the gospel because their hearts were hardened. But I fear what was true of Israel may become true of the church in America. If we do not let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, not just hear the word, but become livers of the word, and we will be like Israel, not obtaining what we're seeking. And so we come to this passage, and our theme from this passage is that God will harden the religious so the gospel can spread. You see, that's, that's what Paul is going to tell us as he goes through this chapter, that it is because of the hardening of the hearts of the Israelites that the gospel was then sent out to the Gentiles. But do we want that to be said of us? Do we want it to be said And we see it happening, by the way. Do we want it to be said that the church of America, their hearts were hardened so that the gospel went to the third world? Because that's what's happening. In our generation, the hearts of people in America, Christians in America, have become hard to the truth of the gospel, to the living of the gospel. And so there are less Christians in America today while the gospel is going to the third world, what used to be called third world countries, in great numbers. We live on the edge of a very large Hasidic community right here in Brooklyn. In many ways, we get to see what the first century Jewish life might have looked like. I know when I ride the train, for instance, and there'll be a number of Jewish people on there, and almost invariably, they will have their Bibles opened or their prayer books opened, and they'll be going over and over those passages that they're looking at. They're seeking to learn how to live in a way that pleases God. But let me ask you, from our text, what did some in Israel seek? What did some in Israel in Paul's day, and what still are some seeking today? I've wept at times when I see our shorelines filled on the ten days of repentance as the Jews are practicing taslik, the acts of repentance. 
leading up to the Day of Atonement. And what do they seek? The answer comes in the first two words of verse 7. What then? Paul asks. What is he talking about when he says, what then? Well, in those two words, the Apostle Paul is sending us back to chapters 9, 10, and the first six verses of chapter 11, as he describes for us the Jewish zeal without knowledge. They had a zeal without knowledge. Well, why did they have a zeal without knowledge? Well, the answer is, in our first subpoint. Notice how they sought the wrong target. They were aiming at the wrong target. You know, another week, I will be traveling to West Virginia to go hunting. For the first time in about 30 years, I am going deer hunting. Now, those of you who are vegans and vegetarians don't throw tomatoes or anything, but I am going. Now, however, suppose that I get out there and I want to sight in my rifle. Right? So, so, so what do I do? I, I, I arrive and I go to the shooting range and I'm going to sight in the rifle and I spend the whole week trying to get that scope lined up so perfectly that it hits the center of the target. And I just keep working at it, working at it, tweaking this, tweaking that, turning this, turning that, trying to get it just right so that I'm hitting the center of the target, but I never get out into the woods and do any hunting. Does that make any sense? I've got the wrong target. I'm aimed at the wrong thing. I'm trying to get this so perfect to hit that target that I never get out to hunt. Paul declares in verse 7, Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. What he meant by that is they were setting their sights on the wrong thing. They were setting their sights on the law and, and trying to obtain the perfection of the law. And they were never obtaining it. What they were seeking is what we read in chapter 9, 31. Romans 9, 31 says, But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. You see, Israel thought the goal was law. And so they kept tweaking their lives, trying to, to, to find the ways to keep that law so perfectly. And that became their target. That's what they tried to line up their lives with, that law. But in aiming at the law, they missed the law's purpose, to hunt God, to seek after God, to know God, to bring them into a faith relationship and a love of God. But I fear that many professing Christians have the same view. Oh, they have their eyes on the Bible reading. Uh, they, they, they have their eyes on making sure that they say their prayers, coming to church, and pleasing the pastor or pleasing their mentor. And they miss the point of all those things. To have a vital 
living relationship with a God who is sovereign over all. God has given us all of those other things as a means of grace to lead us into a relationship with him. But if you have your eyes on the wrong target, you'll never obtain what you're seeking. If, like the Jews, you're doing for the sake of doing, then you will die. You'll never find the satisfaction and the joy that comes from walking with God. But notice also, they not only were aiming at the wrong target, but notice that they also sought by the wrong technique. Their, their means of getting there was wrong. Not only did Israel as a nation and people seek the wrong target by thinking that the law was what they needed, but they also went about seeking the righteousness of the law in the wrong way. Verse 7 tells us that Israel failed to obtain. That is, they failed because they misunderstood why God gave them the law, and so they pursued the law for their own righteousness rather than the righteousness of God. We saw that back in chapter 10, where Paul addressed their technique. He says, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. They're ignorant of the righteousness of God. What is the righteousness of God? He explains it elsewhere when he says that the righteousness of God is the righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. They failed to obtain what they were seeking, which was entrance into eternity, the satisfaction that comes with knowing that we are right in a relationship with God. But they failed to obtain that because, first, they were aiming at the wrong thing. The target, I've got to keep the law, and the technique. The technique being that they were seeking their own righteousness. They were seeking to show how good they were. That goes back to Paul's statement that they had a zeal, but without knowledge. Oh, they had knowledge, all right. They knew the Bible far better than the vast majority of Christians know the Old Testament today. But in their zeal, they missed what the Bible was about. Jesus said that to the, to the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees. He said, you search the scriptures all the time. But you miss what they're about, because they're about me, and you've missed it. So in their zeal, they failed to submit to God's righteousness, which was a righteousness that came by faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone. They sought to establish their own righteousness. Look, God, how good I am. Look what I am doing. Remember the, the parable of the, the Pharisee and the, the publican in the temple? 
where the Pharisee says, God, I'm glad I'm not like that guy over there, but rather I tithe and I do this and I do that and I do the other thing. Let's return to the hunting scenario that I was talking about before. I grew up in Pennsylvania, and I hunted for a number of years in Pennsylvania. Now, do you think that I can go to West Virginia and use my past knowledge and experience and things from Pennsylvania in West Virginia? If you do, you're really asking me to go to prison. The laws are different in West Virginia than they are in Pennsylvania. The dates when you can hunt are different in Pennsylvania than they are in West Virginia. And the licenses are different. So if I tried to use the stuff from Pennsylvania in West Virginia and I got caught, I could end up with huge fines or even spend some time in jail. Well, the Jewish leaders sought to follow the law of Moses rather than the law of Christ. Even after Jesus Christ came, even after the Messiah came and filled up the law, fulfilled the law, they've still continued to pursue their own traditions. And they failed to submit themselves to Christ. As Christians, however, we tend to do the same thing. You see, instead of, uh, of us seeking God, like the Bereans, the Scripture says, they, they searched the Scriptures daily to see if what Paul was teaching was true. We let our denominations tell us what is true. Uh, we let our, our local church and, and, and the pastor Tell us what is true and what we should do and how we should live. Or even our mentors tell us what is true. Or more often, we allow our own personal views to tell us what is true. May God forgive us if we seek a righteousness of our own making. Rather, than seeking the righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ, that his life might be lived out in us. So what was it that the Israelites sought that led them astray? We've seen that they were, had a wrong target. Their target being the law, following the law, and using the wrong technique, seeking to follow the law for their own righteousness rather than to find the righteousness that comes from God. But who are these people that Paul is talking about? Who in Israel failed? It's not enough to ask who failed. Uh, Paul is very clear about that. If we go back to Romans chapter 3, in Romans chapter 3, he tells us we all failed. Every one of us failed. 
For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But Paul is narrowing it down here because he's speaking about a very specific issue there. And he's narrowing it down in these three chapters, chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11. He's narrowing it down to what he says in verses 1 to 6. It's not all. Israel, who has failed. Not all Israelites failed. Paul tells us in verse 6, I'm an Israelite. Or in verse um, 2, I'm an Israelite. So not all Israel is what he is talking about when he says that Israel failed. He has in mind the Jewish politicians. He has in mind the, the synagogue leaders who had rejected Jesus Christ, causing then the gospel to go out to the Gentiles. And so as we look at this, notice how those who failed, they failed because they missed the truth. See, not everyone among the Jewish people missed the mark, did they? Some used the right technique, and they aimed at the right target. It was faith in Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in verse 7 that the elect obtained it. There were those that that had the right target in mind. There were those who followed the technique of faith in Jesus Christ that led them into the righteousness that comes from God through faith in Christ. By God's grace, some ethnic Jews have come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ throughout the ages. But the rest have not. Rather than put their trust in God's righteousness through faith, the Jews that Paul is talking about here, when he says that Israel did not obtain it, the Jews that he is talking about chose to listen to their political leaders and their spiritual leaders of their day. And John led us into a little secret. He takes us inside a meeting of those leaders of the Sanhedrin. That Sanhedrin is the, the, the 70 spiritual and political leaders of the Jews. And he takes us inside their meeting. And in that meeting, they said, we want to exchange Jesus for the Roman Empire. That's what they said. To them, it was more important to live for the government and obey the government than it was to follow Jesus and to trust in Jesus as the Messiah. They flipped the coin, and the coin came up, crucify him. Crucify him. The political pressure from those leaders then worked its way down to the ordinary people, to the ordinary Jews. The political pressure caused many of those ordinary Jews to also reject Jesus. They're the ones that listened to Jesus and said, nobody has ever preached and taught like this man. They're the ones that were amazed at the healings that Jesus brought to them. 
But when it came down to it, they had to make a choice. Will I follow Jesus or will I stay with the synagogue? Because the synagogue leader said, if you follow Jesus, you can't come to the synagogue. What is the synagogue? It's not just church like we have it. The synagogue was the very center of the Jewish life. Still is today. The very center of the Jewish life. It it was the social, the political, as well as the religious center for them. And they had to make a choice. Are we going to accept that Jesus is our Messiah? Or are we going to stay within our cultural center when the vast majority of them chose the synagogue over the Savior. Does that sound similar today? There are many professing Christians who sacrifice their integrity and their faith in order to keep their jobs. Well, you know, you gotta, you, you gotta, gotta, Go get along with what's going on. So, you know, it's just what you got to do to survive. Christian students in colleges and high schools hide their faith, and then many of them even leave their faith because of the assault of the liberal professors and the students around them. So called Christian politicians compromise their beliefs in order to get along with their colleagues. Truth becomes whatever fits in the culture at that given time. As a result, many professing Christians are going to hear on that last day, depart from me, I never knew you. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me in this world, I will be ashamed of you before my Father. And that's what happened to Israel, to those that were not the elect. They failed to obtain because they sacrificed truth for fitting into their culture and their society. But also notice how those who failed manifested toughness, but the wrong kind of toughness. It wasn't a toughness of faith. It wasn't a toughness of standing for what was right. It was a toughness of heart. The word of God failed to penetrate and transform their lives. Listen to those very scary words at the end of verse 7. It says, the elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Back in chapter 10... Paul stated that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If we go back even farther to chapter 1, verse 16, he called the gospel the power of God for salvation. In other words, what Paul is saying is that the the, the word of God is like a bullet shot to the heart. The only problem is Over a period of time, the word of God hits a heart, and that person feels guilt. They feel a need for God, but they say, no. I want to stay in the synagogue, or I want 
to do this with my life, or I, I want to do that right now. And I had a brother who said, I want to live the way that I want to live, and then when I'm 40, I'll become a Christian. He died without Christ. Every time the Word of God hits our heart and it wounds us and we do not turn to Christ for healing, that becomes scar tissue. And that scar tissue gets harder and harder every time until eventually it becomes impervious to the Word of God. Our hearts become a bulletproof vest. But the powerful, saving word won't penetrate. Suppose in my hunting in West Virginia, I should run across Leviathan from the book of Job. Right. So I'm out hunting. And I run across Leviathan. Listen to this description in Job 41. His back is made of rows of shields, shut up closely as with a seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. And they are joined one to another. They clasp each other and cannot be separated. All right? You get the picture, right? This is, this is this, you know, whatever it is has scales and they just overlap each other, sort of like a dragon. Almost totally impenetrable. So I grab my rifle, oh no! The bullets just bounce right off. That's what happens to us. We proclaim the word of truth. But the hearts have become so hardened to the gospel. They've said no to God so often that that word bounces right off. Every time the Spirit convicts you, but you turn away, your heart is becoming tougher until it becomes totally impervious to the word of God. Well, we've seen what some in Israel sought besides Christ. And we've come to understand who in Israel it is that failed to believe until their heart was toughened, hardened. The next question is then why? Why did some in Israel fail? During the past several weeks, we have been discussing how many Jews in the Old Testament and in the New Testament failed to believe. Still, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, Nevertheless, with most of the Israelites, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Catch this line. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire 
as they did. And now it's to those Old Testament examples that Paul turns, beginning with verse 8. Remember, what is the purpose of this? So that we do not do what they did. Listen to what he says. He says, as it is written. It takes us back then to all of those Old Testament passages. It takes us back to everything that was written. Remember, as it is written is not the New Testament. Because the New Testament, for the most part, was not written at that point. As it is written means the Old Testament. I feel bad for Christians who know little of the Old Testament. God provided the Old Testament for this reason. Many other reasons, but particularly for this reason, that we would not do what Israel did. That we would learn from their loss so that we might not fail to obtain what we sought. So notice how those who failed felt God's threats. Book of Deuteronomy. In the book of Deuteronomy, Israel is provided with a list of curses and blessings. If you obey me, if you seek me with all your heart, here are the blessings that you will obtain. But if you reject me, if you turn away from me, here are the curses that you will experience. Before entering the promised land, the Israelites were to stand on two mountains. They declared back and forth from Mount Gerizim, they were to give out the blessings. And then the echo would come back from Mount Ebal, where the other half of Israel was, and they would respond with the cursings, echoing back and forth, blessing, curse, blessing, curse, blessing, curse, to remind the Israelites You're in the middle. Are you going to obey and live for the glory of God and receive the blessings? Or are you going to reject? Are you going to harden your heart? Are you going to turn away? Paul quotes in verse 8 from Deuteronomy 29, verse 4. He also mixes in a little bit of Isaiah 29, verse 10. He says, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear, down to this very day. I believe in the sovereignty of God, and I believe that God has elected those who he will save. I believe he did that before the foundations of the world were in place, before anyone had done either good or bad. At the same time, I do not hold to double predestination. I do not believe that God chose the rest for condemnation. He chose those for salvation, but not those for condemnation. So what does this passage mean when it says that God gave them a spirit of stupor? It sounds like God made them blind, so they could not believe. But how did he do that? That's the important question. You see, if a person has lived in the dark all of their lives, they suddenly enter a room with a bright light, they will immediately cry out, cover their eyes, and they'll run from that room. 
They can't tolerate the light. It hurts their eyes. The Apostle John put it this way in chapter 3 of his gospel. He says, and this is a judgment. The light has come into the world. People love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. God's way of giving people eyes that will not see and ears that will not hear is by exposing them to the truth. And they will suppress that truth. We learned that back in Romans chapter 1. They will suppress it. They will turn away. They will reject it. They will crucify the Savior. And because they refuse the gospel's light, their hearts are toughened, hardened against the gospel, and they die in their sin. And if we follow up in an understanding of this, we would go back to chapter 1 and notice how those who failed felt God's turning over their lives to their sin. That's what Paul calls it in chapter 1. He says God turned them over. Why did God turn them over? Because even though he had revealed himself in the perfection of who he is, his eternal power and his eternal nature, even though he had revealed that clearly, they suppressed that truth. And so it says, in their suppressing of that truth, God turned them over. He turned them over to their darkness. He turned them over to their rebellion, to their rejection. He spoke to the Israelites, to the prophets and the priests, but they continually rebelled against him. They continually failed to listen, and so we see God's charge against them in verses 9 and 10. Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. What is he talking about here? He's talking about the the table of fellowship coming into the presence of God, enjoying all the blessings that God had told them on Mount Gerizim. Here are the blessings. Here's the table that I'm setting before you, a table of blessing. And they rejected it. They turned away from it. So that table of blessings that are promised in the covenant, because they were seeking righteousness through the law, because they were seeking their own righteousness rather than God's righteousness, they started taking the promises of God, the blessings of God, and saying, well, God owes me this because of what I'm doing. And isn't that exactly what we hear in the preaching today? God made this promise. He has to do this for me. I've done this. God has to do that. And so the table of blessing becomes a snare and a trap. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the temple, the temple, they cried out when the Assyrians were coming, when the Babylonians were coming. And they were still destroyed and taken off into exile. 
And so those blessings became a snare and a trap. But what did God do? He then sent his son. They killed the prophets. But maybe if I send my son, maybe they will listen to him. That's a parable that Jesus told. And what did they do? Oh, this is, the, this is the heir, this is the son. Let's kill him and then it all becomes ours. Jesus Christ is the stone that the builders rejected, that stumbling stone, that stumbling block talked about there in verse 9. By rejecting the light, their eyes were darkened and their backs became bent, meaning that they became slaves of their own wickedness. Bent like the back of a slave. My friends, you and I face the same danger. We've heard the gospel preached many times. The word of of Christ is proclaimed over and over again on our radios, on our podcasts, and, and now with live streaming of our services. The presentation of the truth of the gospel is going out again and again. And many take the religion for granted. I take it for granted. Oh, we're Christians because we live in America. We're Christians because we go to church. We're Christians because, because, because. No, you're not. Not a Christian because of anything except for the grace of God. The grace of God that is not aiming us at a law. Because law is the law of sin and death. But instead, it's aiming us at Christ. And in Christ, life is given. Satisfaction, joy, hope, so that we do not fear. Has your heart become hardened? But the penetrating power of the gospel bounces off. Are you seeking to do all the right things so that God will let you into heaven? Then you will end up where the Israelites ended up, condemned forever. Are you blind to the truth like the Israelites of Paul's day? I want to end with a brief look at a fourth question. When did some in Israel fail? When did some in Israel fail? Is there anything in our text that tells us when Paul is talking about that Israel failed to obtain what they sought? Was it just about the Israelites in the wilderness that he's talking about? Was he talking about just the Israelites under the Old Covenant in the Old Testament? No. Paul is talking about all the Israelites, at least up to his day, all that were not the elect, all that that did not trust in Jesus Christ. So notice how those who failed 
in all time. You see, for Paul, the truth about Israel's failure was not a past event. It was happening at his time. It was happening at the very time that he was writing this book. That's why he wrote it. He realized that in every generation, from the time of Adam until the moment that he was writing this, his present time, that God had elected some Israelites by grace, but that most had been hardened to the gospel. And so he ends the quote in verse 8 with the words, down to this very day. But I can tell you this, that Paul was writing today, and he was writing to the church today. Unfortunately, we'd have to say the same thing. Not only most of Israel was hardened, but many who profess faith in Jesus Christ, their hearts are hardened too. Day after day, the gospel is proclaimed in the United States of America, and it is rejected by the vast majority of people. That's true also, not only of us here in the United States, but of the people in Uganda, or in the Ukraine, or in the United Arab Emirates, or Uzbekistan, or any other country in the world. Just not that many that start with you, like the United States. Everywhere hearts are being hardened. God is giving them a spirit of stupor as they reject him time and time again. Their rebellion and their sin suppressing the truth, and God turns them over. Are you one of those? One who has missed the mark. One who is aimed at the wrong target, using the wrong technique. Looking to somehow think that God is going to accept you because you're a pretty good person. But also notice how those who failed fell for all times. You see, the decisions that you make today last forever. Every time you place the pleasures of this life over the pleasures of eternity, your heart becomes harder. And so, I warn you, as Paul warned the people of Israel of his day, do not harden your heart as they did in the wilderness. Don't turn from the gospel. In the end of verse 10, he says, and bend their backs forever. Forever is a long time. It's a really long time. It's not a thousand years. It's not even a quadrillion years forever to be a slave of your sin, a slave of your self-righteousness, forever a hardened heart. God have mercy is all that we can say to those who continually turn aside, turn away, 
from the truth, from the light of the gospel. And so I ask you in conclusion, have you focused your faith, your religion, have you focused that on doing the right thing to get to heaven? You're aiming at the wrong target. They won't work. You'll never meet God if you're chasing down the right things that you have to do. You have to seek Christ. You have to desire Him more than anything else in this life. And if you are a believer, are you eager to share the gospel? To let that powerful, piercing word of God hit some hearts? Or are you only focused on getting yourself to heaven and leaving everyone else behind? We can't do that, friends. We know sovereignly God has elected But we also know that God has sovereignly elected the means and the means of the word of God. No one will believe without hearing the word of God. May God work in all of us. Bring us to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and then give us a voice to share that. Let's pray. Our Father God, This is a hard passage. It is difficult for us to to look at this passage and not to be broken by it. Not to think that in this day, perhaps even in this place or, or people who are watching online, that they're hearing the gospel, but they're hardening their hearts and they're receiving a spirit of stupor, a blindness, of deafness to the gospel, building up a bulletproof vest against that penetrating word of God as they harden their hearts. And therefore, they get turned over by you. You, you want to live in your sin? You want to live in your unrighteousness? Go ahead. Go ahead and see where it leads you to the emptiness, to the lostness, and to the temporariness of this life. Speak to hearts today. For those who are believers, awaken us, O God, to the task before us. And for those who may be listening that do not know you, help them Oh God, to see past the religious actions and to see the beauty of a life lived in Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.